0: you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head.
1: I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean?
2: This is us. No. Uh
1: oh! Sounds like somebody's got a case of the mundos. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey,
3: hey, kids! <laughs>
1: Don't worry, I got an idea.
4: And now the host of the stupid cancer show, Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Not that
1: there's anything wrong with
4: him. Because he has a lot of chip spot.
1: <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 399 of the Stupid Cancer Show. We are the voice of Young Adult Cancer. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org.
5: I'm your co-producer, Mallory Rivera. I'd like to welcome all of our first-time and returning listeners. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud.
1: 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each year. Sucks, huh? We change the world one chemo infusion at a time. And this show is no exception on this episode The Politics of Pink. It is October. For over 30 years, Breast Cancer Action, a nonprofit organization based out of San Francisco, has been seeking to achieve health justice for all women at risk of living with breast cancer while brilliantly disrupting the landscape around advocacy, cause marketing, and corporate accountability. Joining us are Karuga Jagger, Executive Director, and Alyssa Figueroa, the campaign's coordinator, to discuss, among other things, Pinkwashing and the not-so-subtle politics of breast cancer. Survivor spotlight on the young adult survivor, uh, Jimmy Jimmy Ransik. I heard good things about him. Jimmy Ransik, a big deal. Three hundred and ninety-nine. we Really, at three ninety-nine?
5: We're at three ninety-nine.
1: That's almost almost four hundred.
5: That's the next (laughs) one. Will be four hundred. Math,
1: all about the math. Yes. How you doing?
5: Oh, I'm just dandy.
1: Dandy, ducky.
5: Dandy, ducky. You're all delightful, delightful. All of the above.
1: Fantastic. Yes. Okay. Hi, yeah. Sean. Hi. Are you still on your high? Yeah. From what?
3: Toast. What? What's toast? Mr. Sandwich. What's
1: Mr. Sandwich?
3: It's a fundraising event. <laughs> it sand- happened. Yes. It was on Thursday.
1: Yes, the second annual stupid cancer annual fundraiser. Toast.
3: We got Nasdaqi at Nasdaq. Is
1: that a verb now? I guess. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm coining it at this very moment, live well, on air. Well, you
1: know, you realize that my measure of su- success isn't only necessarily how much money you raised, but it's when Laurel says we had good social media engagement.
5: We
2: did. Oh, Thank yeah? you for everybody for engaging with us on our socials.
1: Hashtag ToastNYC, if you'd like to search. Mm-hmm. And 200 and some odd people came.
3: Yeah, 204. We had some someone show, so 205 officially, and we raised 95000 $215. Oh, is that all? What?
1: Is that all? That's all. Yeah. Yeah. My parents came. You guys met my mom, right? None of you have met my mom yet, have you?
5: I had. I oh, you did? I, oh, yeah, I had, the had other... a rare mom sighting.
1: That's right. The, the thing we had a while ago here, right?
5: Yes, our friend raiser.
1: Yes, but Roz Greenswag came to toast. Thank you, mom. Woo. It's a big deal.
2: We love moms.
1: It was a really amazing event, and I, I, I'm still wrapping my head around how we pulled it off. Because we did it in 2015. It was kind of like, hey, let's just see if we can do something. And the issue was like, hey, let's see if we can actually do something and raise money. <laughs> a lot of money. Three times more money. Yeah. It's a big deal. See. met a lot of people, thanks to everyone that came and supported the event. I got to tell you, I've been reached out to by dozens and dozens of people that I didn't even know were there. Which is a good thing to have a room full of people I didn't know. Talk about what we're doing. And my dad schmooze. My dad got business cards from people. That's how you know things worked out real well. Give this to your son. So he took pictures of them and were texting me the photos of the business cards. But really good stuff. Really, truly amazing stuff. And uh, two weeks left, right, for OMG West?
5: We are uh, 12 days away. Nah. So just under Twelve just Days under, away. Wow. Twelve days away from OMG West.
1: All right. So you West Coast people who are listening to this very podcast, time to register at OMG Summit dot org and join your community. Or as Laura would say, join the movement <laughs> in Orange County, California at UC Irvine Campus. Can we really In be Orange.
5: Deal? It's UC Irvine Campus. In, in orange, orange, which
1: is in Orange yes. County also. Which is
5: in Orange County. It, it it gets a little uh it
1: does get a little confusing. Weird. So we have Emily McDowell from Emily McDowell Studios as our featured special guest. I'm the, pretty excited about I'm that. I'm very excited. We love her. She's very entrepreneurial. She's a, a, a spitfire. It's good stuff. Uh, we had an interesting post on social, which, again, goes back to largely like the, the fertility conversation, which I believe is the core of our our almost our public image as we stand for the right to parenthood in a sense but getting ovarian cancer in your 20s is different than getting blood cancer or bone cancer or colon cancer because it is your very reproductive organs themselves. So, uh, Laura, uh, what's this piece about?
2: It really is following the story of young women talking about their journey from being diagnosed with ovarian cancer and how that affects the rest of their life. And I think that it's... It's like you just said. It's like everything that we talk about here, how you have so much of your life left and you just don't see it coming. So much of your life is in flux in your 20s and then to add this on top of everything else. Um, and it's just the comments from it, again, just everybody talking about, like, this is what I was doing and and this is how young I was when I was diagnosed, and it's just crazy.
1: Well, it is crazy. I was just on a call today with a colleague around how the con- So we, we at stupid cancer do a lot of research i probably have mentioned this on the show before but we will be publishing a study that we did with uh, dr katherine benedict at northwell a couple of uh, months ago that that showed 87 percent of women who were diagnosed in their fertile years didn't feel informed that their treatments posed a risk to their fertility And or were offered options. So when 87% of women are not even disclosed that information, you have to ask the question, why wasn't it disclosed? And the simple answer is because it's not the law to disclose it versus what is the law to disclose. And that includes mostly major side effects, which threaten your life. And because infertility doesn't threaten your life, it's not considered a legal mandate to disclose An article and an issue which we are taking up here at Stupid Cancer, how do we get the FDA to mandate fertility disclosure? The Miranda rights, so to speak, of parenthood and the risks of not being a mom or a dad, uh, something we're very passionate about, which you'll see coming uh, in the next couple of weeks and months. But that's a really big deal.
2: And I think what's interesting about this article, and it's mentioned um, also in the comments, is that it's not just these act of losing one's fertility but also the emotions that that invokes you know like or evokes it's just you you assume so many people assume that that's going to be part of their life and that's just what they imagine will happen when they're in their 30s and 40s and it's just how quickly it gets taken away without them even knowing that it's going to be taken away and it's not just that act, but it's also the emotions of that happening.
5: Yeah, there's a there's a really great quote in the article that says, a lot of who I am is a result of having cancer. Um, and and she talks about how she always knew she was going to be a parent, but now she has to think about it in such a different lens.
1: Right. And we we ha- ha- have had people on the show who have been told, oh, you already have a kid. It doesn't matter. So they are given the disclosure, but it's dismissed because you're presuming that that patient doesn't matter that they want to have other children, or many very akin to this conversation just woke up one day infertile. So clearly a young adult cancer-specific issue that we are passionate about, so thank you for posting that. And if you want to learn more, just visit facebook.com stupidcancer, and uh, I think that's a good pivot point to kick off our show. In our spotlight, Jimmy Rancic is a 20-year-old who at 17 was diagnosed with NKT cell lymphoma after chemo and radiation received a stem cell transplant and later developed a secondary post-transplant brain cancer. But he's been cancer-free for close to two years now. We're very excited to have him share his story on the show. Please welcome Jimmy Rancic. Jimmy. Thank you so much. We don't get a lot of college crowd on the show, so it's very important we make sure that we understand how that is so different when you're not, uh, you know, just like even in young adulthood, we, we the range is like 15 to 40. So we don't get like a lot of the under 21 crowd to share their stories. And it is really different than the 35 year old story. You were diagnosed at 17. Was that in high school or were you already in in college? So
3: yeah, I was it was the summer of my uh sophomore going into junior year. I had this lawn service. I was cutting lawns and one day I noticed my testicle was very swollen. And so you know, I I waited a week or two and then I said I said to my dad, I said there's something going on with my testicle and so he made me drop trout and he looked at it he says, we got to go. And at the time, I was still with a pediatrician. And so it was really weird showing this lady who I've known since my birth, my nut. <laughs> 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 and uh, I love to joke about, you know, all this stuff. As, as terrible as it can be, I think you still need to laugh about it. So I will be joking about it throughout the podcast. Um, so anyway, they went, they sent me to do an ultrasound, very awkward, of my nuts and uh so they said pretty much they said you need to get this removed this looks really bad and so i went on on my 17th birthday my golden birthday i went to um gosh what uh, a hospital why i'm blanking out the name northwestern hospital um and the doctor just goes yeah you're going to have to get your testicle removed so right now i'm going to do a full body exam because we don't have a PET scan for you right now. Oh boy! And so, so on my golden birthday, I had my first prostate exam, <laughs> and it well, was happy
1: awful. birthday, dude!
3: Happy birthday! I I like the joke. What did the kid get for his birthday? Cancer joke. Yes, um, I feel it's kind of appropriate for my situation. So, um, we sent the pathology all over, and ultimately decided uh, to get treatment at University of Chicago. Um, and so I went on the pediatrician side, the pediatrics, uh because he I, I wasn't ready for the, you know, to be around forty year olds who are uh, you know, not recovering as fast from their chemo, whereas these, you know, twelve and thirteen year olds and and younger than that are kinda still lively even though it's it's uh really hard to see other kids with cancer. Um so I went through a chemo treatment called SMILE chemo, which is they all stand for, stand for you know, the, the S stands for one type of chemo, the M for methotrexate, whatever. SMILE, great name for chemo.
1: That's hysterical. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's horrible and yet awesome at the same time.
3: Yeah. So they found out it was NKT cell lymphoma, which is a rare type of T cell lymphoma, which is pretty hard to kill. And so, a, after that and the radiation, they said, you, stem cell transplant, even though you beat the chemo, you got to get this so you make sure it doesn't come back. And so, I, I went in on January, I'm going to say 22nd of 2014 to get the stem cell transplant. I had chemo that just absolutely knocks everything out of you. And... Um, then I, I remember the stem cell infusion. Uh, and then, you know, I fell asleep one night and I woke up and my dad was holding my hand and I was just like, what, what happened? He's like, you've been asleep for three days. I was like, holy crap. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he's like, your sister visited you and I woke up and I had like a catheter in and it was awful. Um, but you know, after I started staying at the Ronald McDonald House because I still had to go every day uh, for them to take my blood and this and that, and Ronald McDonald House is like a five-minute drive from University of Chicago. Um, And then eventually they let me go home. I wasn't allowed to have my dogs in my house, but I was allowed to be home, and there was a little normalcy after that. And uh, things started getting better and better, and... um, and then about a year later in October, I was out and I was, I was getting pizza and I just noticed that I could, something was funky with my vision. I couldn't really see out of the side of my left eye. And so I went and I got a PET scan and I had a tumor in my brain. Um, and so we, we started the chemo. We started re- chemo right away because you can't let that brain cancer you know, get to you. Um, will
1: you put fast. on tamandar for that? Sorry, will you put on the drug tamandar for that?
3: I bet you I was. You know, when you have brain cancer, you kind of you just don't know what's happening at all, right? Your brain, your—I mean, my memory of going through all that was so limited. Um, so I—I I bet you I was. It sounds familiar, but the chemo killed it. Um, the the brains—I actually had a biopsy. And I still have this hideous uh, wound on the back of my head. Um, It ended up being in my right occipital lobe. That's why I'm having trouble with the left vision uh, in my eye.
1: Well, we talk about the consequences of cure, especially Mm -hmm. in pediatric cancer. I was diagnosed at 21. Even though I wasn't uh, a pediatric human being, I was treated in pediatrics. And it sounds like we had the same experience looking at yeah. tiny little children and we were the adults in the room, so to speak. And our parents were the odd ones out because mm-hmm. their kids weren't four and we were, you were 17, I was 21. And then you're, you're quite questionably out of the woods or on the mend. And then you get brain cancer because <laughs> they tried to treat you. And well, uh, they
3: did try to treat me. And then one day, Uh, My mom and I went to Mario Tricochi to get a massage, and she had a masseuse who her husband had the same exact problem. He had lymphoma, then he had stem cell transplant, then he had secondary brain cancer. And she told us about CBD oil, which is extracted from marijuana. And this is known to cure seizures. A girl who was having like 200 seizures a day, I guess, had like one after she took it. And I've seen a video of a man who took it and then uh, who had uh, Parkinson's and it stopped his shaking after like 15 minutes. And she told me that it, it had killed her husband's brain tumor after two weeks. So I had had the scan and then I took the CBD at night so I didn't feel the high for two weeks. And then I got a scan after that and the brain tumor was gone.
1: There's a lot of science waiting to happen to legitimize these anecdotal studies, and we have so many books in the office, and now that it's been legalized for recreational use in so many states, Mm -hmm. there are these legit, like, billion-dollar venture-backed pop-up science projects that are doing all these double-blind studies and clinical trials to validate these stories, and and I don't think anyone's trying to take that away from the legitimacy, but Mm -hmm. if there's... A critical mass of evidence to support that this is something that truly makes a difference. I'm in. I I agree completely. And you you, you shouldn't have had to randomly find out about it, you know. And it just happened to work for you. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad you did. Um. I think that a lot of the scrutiny is on how some of the strains have too much THC when all you're looking for is sort of to balance the pain and to take care of the the biological part that it does. Mm-hmm. So.
3: What I know about CBD is it's, it's very clean, and we actually gave it to my doctors to send to the lab, because we wanted them to be like, yeah, this is okay, and it's not going to harm you or uh, do anything to your immune system in any way, and so they tested it, and they approved it. and. Um, I, from what I know, it's very clean compared to smoking marijuana or anything like that.
1: I agree. No, the cannabinoid oils are are always out there in the public eye a lot more, it's less less stigmatic, if you <laughs> would, than
3: actually smoking. But I I don't I don't, uh, don't want to say I didn't get the munchies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the real trade secret here is that oncologists typically like to prescribe uh, medicinal marijuana. Even mm-hmm. when it's not legal in the state, because it does make their patients have an appetite. When I, chemotherapy I a, makes you. I had a
3: pill as, uh, when I started my chemotherapy. I forget what the pill was called. Prescription pill.
1: Right, and but uh, I, the, it sounds to me like this smile, which, as you point out so eloquently, is is the exact opposite of what it really is and does. No, is no. not really conducive towards a thriving college student's lifestyle hmm So let's talk about that. You're, you're in college now. You beat cancer. What is that like? What's it like to be 20 in college in 2016 as a cancer survivor?
3: It's, it's a little tough. I'm not exactly in the dorm I would like to be right now. The dorm I'm in is 90% international students. Um, this is my sophomore year here, even though credit-wise I'm not a sophomore, Last year, when I was here, I was uh, very fatigued and in a wheelchair because I had just beat the brain cancer, and so I had a hard time making friends. And so now, because of that that uh, sore or whatever you want to call it, where I had the biopsy, I have to wear a hat all the time. So I'm not sure if people can tell because my hair is still really thin and my skin doesn't look too great. I'm not sure if people kind of stray away from me because I might look like I've had some sickness or something. Um, but I'm, I'm a pretty open guy. I'm a pretty, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Gregarious,
3: handsome. I wish I could use the word handsome.
1: You're the Dos Equis guy, all that stuff.
3: Um, yeah, exactly. So there's two uh, sides I'm going. I'm very outgoing and I like to make friends and I, I don't know if people are just kind of looking at me like trying to figure out what's going on with me.
1: Well, that's the stigma that a lot of people face where if you do look sick, people will obviously <laughs> want to naturally steer clear from you if they're completely ignorant. But when you start to look normal again, quote normal with quotes around it and yet you still have side effects or lingering issues It's the, but you don't look sick, get over yourself. There's nothing wrong with your conversation. Yeah. So, and, and that's something that is what it means to be, uh, living with through and beyond cancer. What, what are you studying now and is it relevant to your experience?
3: So originally it was when I applied for the school of, I applied for the school of social work and I with with one class because my doctor doesn't really think I should take more than six credit hours or whatever so within one semester of taking a social work class I was already burned out I was so upset to learn about um, you know uh, impoverished people and and all all the other kind of craziness in the world that isn't just cancer because what I wanted to do in social work is help kids with cancer and so it burned me out. I would go home. I would be so upset after class. And so I decided this year to just kind of take some things that might be more fun and more towards what I really enjoy rather than uh, something that will make me you know, feel good about helping people. So I'm taking a media and cinema studies class,
1: well, good which I'm you. really enjoying. That's wonderful. That's good stuff. So you're – there is a, a huge – movement now in the pediatric cancer space, any age birth to I think 18 is where they, they cap it in certain clinics and it, my clinic at the time went to 24 some mm-hmm. clinics today go to 26 because to the Affordable Care Act, it just depends but are you aware or have they made you aware that there is or is not a program that follows your health long term to make sure not just checkups that things are okay, but do they monitor your mental health? Do they monitor your skills? Do they monitor your cognition? And are they able to measure your ability to thrive having had you go through this?
3: Um, so the problem is that uh, I live about a half hour away from the hospital, but that is a half hour without Chicago highway traffic. So, a ride to the hospital can be anywhere from a half hour to two hours. Wow!
1: Um,
3: so, what they wanted me—they uh, originally when I got the cancer, they put me on Lexapro just so my my um, I could stay positive and stuff like that. But after the cancer, they they didn't uh, they weren't able to prescribe it to me anymore without seeing a psychologist. And so I had to find my own psychologist and my own therapist that were closer to home so I didn't have to make a two-hour drive any given day of the week to go see these people. Right. And so I found one closer to me, and um, my therapist is actually really great, and her main focus is on um, quality of life.
1: Good. That's and, so important and goes under the radar so many
3: times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she... She helps me to sort through when I have anxiety attacks about little things and how to how to react better to them and stuff like that. Because I can deal with medical stress a lot better than I can deal with like homework stress right now. Right. <laughs> um but being away from home now, my mom me and my mom are going to her together and so Every Tuesday, my mom calls and I, I join in for the first 10, 15 minutes of their session.
1: Well, um, I love that you were talking about how homework gives you stress because that means things are returning to normal because homework, yeah. I think, is just supposed to cause you stress. <laughs> it's a good for problem sure. to have when homework is the only thing that causes you stress for the day.
3: Yeah.
1: So, let's, uh, we got about a minute or two left, but I want to talk about your project, Ladybug. It sounds very intriguing.
3: Project Ladybug is awesome. So when I was in the hospital for my transplant, there was the double doors so, you know, no germs get in, bacteria and stuff. Um, And one day my mom left to go get some coffee or something like that. And she came back and she brought in this big bag with all this crazy stuff on it or in it. And uh, like the one thing on the top were these slippers that had like Ladybug faces on them. And uh, then we look inside and there's like these bPA free microwavable bowls and, and cups and stuff like that and comfy pajamas and a bunch of movies and stuff like that and so we didn't really know who left it. My mom sent them a thank you and and we found out that Project Ladybug was started in New Jersey by um, real housewife of New Jersey, Dina Manzo, and a um, woman called named Laura Watarowicz started it in Chicago or carried it on in Chicago. And what they do is they send a big, like, gift bag kind of to to people who have extended stays in the hospital. Um, and so I've kind of become good friends with them and helped them at uh, fundraisers and stuff like that. And each bag is about $200 – or, I'm sorry, like $500 worth of stuff or something like that.
1: Well, that's – Again, like this goes back to how do we make the process, you know, kind of suck less and make it yeah. a little more normal. That, that's incredibly uh, admirable of you. So with just about a, a couple of seconds left, you are a long-term, technically two years is, is long-term pediatric cancer survivor in college now. What is something you wish that you had been told when you were diagnosed that you would like someone newly diagnosed to know today?
3: The biggest thing I take away is that when you start the chemo, you gotta take walks. You don't, you can't sit in bed all the time because you're gonna lose all the strength in your legs. It's gonna become so tiring to even walk down to the bathroom. So you gotta take walks around the around the uh, halls if they let you. Walks in your room. Just do anything to stay a little bit active. It'll make you feel a lot better too.
1: Jimmy Rancic, 20-year-old, a pediatric cancer survivor currently enrolled in college, sharing his story with us. Check out the Project Ladybug. Is there a Twitter feed, or are you on social with that?
3: Uh, They are, uh, I think, at Project Ladybug on Twitter. I'm pretty sure they have a website. Um, But there's also the Chicago one, uh, Atia's Project Ladybug.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck. Thank you. All right. Jimmy Rancic, everyone. And now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Stupid cancer does a whole lot of things, and here's what's happening now. The
5: OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults started in 2008. In eight years, 14 summits have brought together more than 6,000 people. On October 29th, join the Young Adult Cancer Movement in Irvine, California. OMG West is all about community. Learn more at omgsummit.org. Join us for a different kind of social mixture. No pressure, no judgments, no stigma. Best of all, no sitting around in a circle sharing your feelings. Find a meetup in your area at events.stupidcancer.org or host your own. Just go to stupidcancer.org/slash meetup. We have a meetup happening on October 29th in Boston, Massachusetts.
1: Fantastic. We want to see how you get busy living. Follow Stupid Cancer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please don't forget to tag us at Stupid Cancer.
5: Join the movement. Show how you get busy living in your stupid cancer gear. Shop at stupidcancerstore.org.
1: We've been doing the show for nearly 10 years, and we want to hear more from you, our listeners. Tell us what you'd like to hear. Fill out our survey at stupidcancer.org slash podcast survey and get 15% off the Stupid Cancer store. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Our main segment here, The Politics of Pink. Breast Cancer Action has been seeking to achieve health justice for all women at risk of living with breast cancer while brilliantly disrupting the landscape of advocacy, cost marketing, and corporate accountability. Joining us, Corinna Jagger, Executive Director, and Alyssa Figueroa, the Campaign's Coordinator, uh, activist, education, nonprofit dedicated to achieving, as I said, just wrecking the way you think about breast cancer and setting everything straight because they are just an extraordinary nonprofit. Please welcome Corinna Jagger and Alyssa Figueroa. And I realize that you guys are probably the only partner charity that has been on the show every single season since we started 10 years ago.
4: Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having us, Matt. Oh, pleasure. We love it.
1: So I can't stress enough that here at Stupid Cancer, we really don't care much about labeling cancer with ribbons and wristbands and celebrating different months because there's just such an inequity facing every other cancer out there, or the fact that corporations take advantage of certain cancers that sort of skew the way we're supposed to equitize the quality of life of all cancer patients out there. And you guys just are breast cancer focused, but what you've done very specifically is sort of poke a stick at the advantages companies take against the the layperson, the average consumer that wants to help, And we've had you on the show skewering major corporations and changing public health policies. And, I mean, I I can sing your praises at the end of the earth, but I would love you to start talking about, hey, how has it been 30 years? We're still fighting, and you guys are achieving so many incredible wins in, in, in sort of shifting the balance of power. Let's start with Karuna.
4: Well, again, thank you so much for having us year after year. You know, I wish we weren't here because I wish we weren't still facing a cancer epidemic. Um, We were founded 26 years ago by a group of women living with and dying from breast cancer, and they wanted to make sure that their daughters and granddaughters didn't get the disease. But we know that the root causes of breast cancer are bigger than breast cancer. And so we never pit, as you say, you know, breast cancer against other diseases and disorders against other cancers We know that the same things that we need to do to turn the tide on this epidemic are going to benefit other cancers and other diseases and disorders. And so we've been really um, holding the spotlight up to the cancer industry since our earliest days. The cancer industry is when those companies that profit from and contribute to breast cancer work hand in hand with the nonprofits that supposedly represent patients, but all too often end up representing corporate interests.
1: And Alyssa, we got you on the show as Campaigns Coordinator of Breast Cancer Action. Uh, tell us some of the things you're working on these days in the pink washing world and beyond.
0: Yeah, so um, this October we have our annual Think Before You Pink campaign. Um, and so we're working furiously on that. This year, you know, so every year... Um, We take on a different uh, either corporation or uh, organization that is pinkwashing. So that's when they're claiming to support women with breast cancer. It's usually um, by slapping a pink ribbon on their products, um, but they're actually failing to protect public health. Um, So this year we are working on a campaign called Toxic Isn't Tasty, um and we are calling on uh two citrus companies, two really big citrus companies, um, in our in the US. Um, and they are B Sweet Citrus and Wonderful Citrus. And Wonderful Citrus, um, a lot of people may know the Halo's mandarins. They're a oh, yeah. really popular uh a citrus brand, um, So Halo's Mandarins, uh, Wonderful Citrus is the company behind Halo's Mandarins. And both of these companies uh, use pink ribbons to sell their oranges. Um, But they're also using oil wastewater uh, to irrigate those oranges. And so what's happening kind of in California, California, a lot of people don't know, is the third largest oil-producing state in the country, it also produces a bulk of the nation's uh, fruits and veggies. And so what's happening is oil companies are uh, supplying, are, are sending off all this wastewater, their oil wastewater, um, that has chemicals in it, um, chemicals, uh, toxic Cancer-causing chemicals have been found in this oil waste water, and uh, companies like Bee sweet and Wonderful Citrus are using it um, to irrigate their oranges. Um, so we are calling on them to stop doing this, and because they're such big players as well, we're calling on them to use their power to stop the use of this happening in California altogether because it really affects really the whole country's food because California produces so much of it.
1: So I'm I'm guessing it's not good for your health to eat oranges that are cleansed in oil waste water.
0: Um, well, well to you know this is um to to be um what what's really going on but, here? I mean, we, the process is this is kind of an emerging topic. And so this it's kind of like we just found out. This is a lot of people, environmental groups, health groups have just found out that this process is happening, and so the use of oil waste water for crop irrigation, it hasn't been proven safe, and so we can't even say we don't know. We don't, we can't say yet if the you know. The chemicals are being taken up into the oranges. If the chemicals are making their way into the oranges, but we do know that this, but it hasn't been tested. We we did this whole thing. Everyone's asleep at the wheel, and so um, we're calling for the precautionary principle, principle which is to make sure this this is safe. This you know this has to be proven safe before it's just used on our food, um, and, and and so that's yeah kind of a clearer picture of what what's going on.
1: So, aren't you glad we're doing this?
0: Ha, ha
1: ha ha. I had to. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I had to go there. I couldn't yeah, not well, go we're, there. We're
0: saying, aren't you sick of pinkwashing?
1: Oh, even so. better. Even better. Yeah. Wait, so let me. I love how, because we do a lot of work in DC around the safer chemicals and the Tosca reform. Mm-hmm. And everything in the chemical world is guilty to proven innocent because you just assume it's safe for humans unless it's proven not to be. Versus. Yeah. Let's just assume that everything that is out there with nine syllables in it will kill you, but needs to pass the litmus test of human safety first.
4: Mm-hmm. Exactly. This, here are two companies which are trying to tell us how much they care about women's health and breast cancer specifically, and they're not taking the most basic step of ensuring their their workers are not exposed to this oil wastewater and that consumers are protected from any potential harms from irrigating crops with wastewater. We reached out to them and they wanted to assure us how safe the process is. But as Alyssa noted, it simply hasn't been studied. There, is, there are no safety tests. When we look at the very limited preliminary tests on the crops, they're only looking at naturally occurring chemicals. They're not looking at all the chemical additives used in the oil production process. So we know that hundreds of chemicals are used in routine drilling to to drill the wells, to maintain the wells, to clean the wells, and many of those chemicals are known carcinogens. Uh, there's a study that just got published by PSE Healthy Energy, and they found that close to half the chemicals are listed on Prop sixty five or, or are known carcinogens, and another near over a third. We don't know anything about the health harms because they've been protected as health secrets. So there's no way that we know that, that the companies can say that this is safe because they're simply not looking. You will not find what you don't look for. And to evaluate naturally occurring chemicals in some preliminary tests is a start, but it's certainly nothing like uh, what we need to show that this process is actually safe. And again, we know that workers are on the front lines. They're in the fields. They're in the orchards, and we're concerned about their their health risks as well.
1: So there's two horribly disturbing things here. One is the fact that it's happening, but two is the fact mm-hmm. that they're involved in a breast cancer cause marketing effort. Is that which which is appalling? If they're hawking produce that could potentially have cancer-causing components to it.
4: Yeah. yeah so. If they, they, oh. We feel like any company that is telling us how much they care about breast cancer should take the most basic step of protecting their workers and the public. They try to tell us that this is just a small amount of water that they're using. How about don't use oil wastewater to irrigate your crops? How about take a basic step to ensure the safety of workers and the public until it has been proven safe?
1: Alyssa, did you want to... Yeah, I just
0: wanted to clarify. So what they're doing, so B-Sweet Citrus, um, they're, they have an actual pink ribbon right on their bags, their Sweetheart Mandarin bags, and um, Halos, the wonderful citrus, um, in certain stores they have pink ribbons, they're part of a pink ribbon produce um, program where they have pink ribbons near their products, um, and yeah, so that that is the the pink washing that is occurring. They're both using pink ribbons to sell their products um while also using uh oil wastewater and they're in they have the power to definitely stop using it. This these are two companies um that, you know, in a drought-stricken state, they are trying to expand. Um they're two mm-hmm. companies that ship overseas. Um and so they're these are two companies that have the power to stop using this water and to um, influence um, the the state of California to, to stop this process
1: altogether. But isn't there also a third layer here? Because in the past, you guys have taken on Yoplay and, and – uh, um, uh, was it the – The one with the pots and pans or Tupperware or or, or, uh, Rubbermaid Mm -hmm. or whatever, where just because you slap a ribbon on it, the average consumer thinks that they're supporting some kind of breast cancer research. And even if they are, there's like a cap or a limitation or they're just completely blindingly making it pink to sell more pink products when, in fact, they sell the exact same thing across the across the shelf, you know, without a ribbon on it.
4: Yeah, it's absolutely right. We know that cause marketing works. Companies do it because they make money when they put pink ribbons on products. So research shows if you put a pink ribbon on something, you will sell more of that thing um, and companies will make more money. We also know that they're trying to benefit um, in the long term by generating good PR, good kind of consumer loyalty and, and goodwill. Um a lot of times, pink ribbon products are doing more for the company's bottom lines than they are doing for any breast cancer or other cancer organization. So, we, you know, as you noted, sometimes companies just put a pink ribbon on something and no money goes to any charity, goes to any organization actually working to meet the needs of people living with and at risk of cancer. Um, other times there's a cap on the donation and you have no way of knowing if you, the thing that you're about to buy, if your purchase is actually going to contribute to uh, to a charity or if the company's already met their cap and every penny of your purchase goes straight to the company's um, uh, you know bank account. Um, we also know that with breast cancer in particular there's an overemphasis on awareness so the question is is any money going to a breast cancer organization and if so which organization and what are what is that organization doing do you think that we need more awareness or do you actually think we need some action to really turn the tide on the epidemic do we need research to develop more effective less toxic treatments uh, and if you have any doubts about that, we encourage folks to give directly to those comp- those charities that are doing the work that you think is most impactful. Um, and, you know, when we began this program, we were talking about pinkwashing, and that's just the most hypocritical examples of companies that are selling pink ribbon products, claiming to care about breast cancer, but are failing to take the basic steps to make sure that their products and services don't contribute to increased risk of the disease. Uh, so at Breast Cancer Action is an independent watchdog for the breast cancer movement, We're really here demanding accountability and transparency in breast cancer fundraising and providing people with some questions so that they can make an informed decision about their own purchase when they're thinking about pink ribbon product.
1: And I'll also sing your praises, you've actually changed corporate policy in the past as well. And uh, also there's another factor here too which is even more confusing for the consumer is when they use the the phrase a portion of the proceeds will benefit breast mm-hmm. cancer or something without disclosing anything, which is just another sleazy way to get people to buy your product without committing to doing anything.
4: That's right. I think, you know, we know that there are a lot of companies making a lot of money because people care about breast cancer and a lot of women who have or are at risk of breast cancer feel like their disease is really being exploited by these companies. Um, pink ribbons are not inherently bad, but they're also not inherently good. And so, anybody who is who wants to make a difference with their with their dollar deserves to know how much of their purchase is going to go to a breast cancer organization. And what is that organization going to do? And as you say, a lot of times it's cloaked in some really, you know, vague language around a portion of proceeds. How much? Is that enough? Do you feel like it's enough? Maybe you're better off skipping that high-priced pink ribbon product and going ahead and making a donation directly to an organization that's doing work that you really believe in, that you think is going to make a difference.
1: So, Alyssa, regarding the campaign for this specifically, who is your audience? How do you reach out to them? And how do you measure the needle on does this company, you know, pick a different method to use in their, their agribusiness? Or is this really public shaming on social? Or do we, I mean, I love if you go to bcaction.org, right on your homepage is a bunch of oranges covered in oil with a pink ribbon on it. I can't think of a better visual to disgust me and make me do something about that. But how, yeah. are, you, how are you specifically reaching out for this?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're calling on, we're using our, you know, Facebook and Twitter. We're reaching out to our members. Um, We're emailing our members. We're um, we're also part of a coalition of ten organizations who's who are are working on this issue as well, and they're um, helping spread the word. Um, And yeah, we're calling on people. You know, we're using those images. We're explaining this issue um, of. You know the you know'cause it, it's it's a funny thing because oranges in general you you see oranges unlike our past campaign, you know some perfume or or cosmetics like oranges are almost a symbol of health right, and so it's an it's an interesting campaign of um taking something that's so symbolically healthy and explaining um what these companies these greedy companies um behind these the these fruits um, are are doing, and so um, just it, we've been really trying to hype that up. Just the hypocrisy of oranges, like now oranges are. I
1: know, right? no. it's yeah. nothing sacred. But it-
0: and it's
4: so great that you're, you know, helping us to spread the word because it's all about letting people that you know, <laughs> know about the issue. Um, so, we, you know, again, we're thrilled to be on. We love all the, the times that you've helped us get the word out and help people ask these questions. Um, and so it's, it's all word of mouth. It's all spreading the word and telling your friends.
1: I also want to talk about Barbara Renner. Um, and mm-hmm. her book, So Much to be Done, which is out, uh, yeah. she, I was a huge, she she was such an inspiration to me when I got this organization yeah. off the ground 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, her life and her legacy is so embodied in everything that, that you do. When I channel her through all of my angst and anger toward the establishment. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about her a little bit and this book?
4: Yeah, I'm so glad that you knew her, and you know feel like your work is carrying on her legacy. We here also carry her closely, um, and and really, uh, she has shaped so many people's thinking and work around cancer.
1: So the book is so much to be done. The writings of breast cancer activist Barbara Brenner. Uh, I have not read it. I'd love to to get a copy of it, but can you talk about uh, what are some of her writings?
4: Yeah, it's a really powerful anthology and it takes so it's really broken into two parts and the first part is her breast cancer activism and you know it it really spans a good solid 15 years of thinking and writing across a range of issues and it's it's powerful to see um the evolution of thought and also to see how much of that early writing is still rings true today is still you know so insightful and important today. Um, as as you know, Matt, she died of ALS, uh, not of breast cancer. And the second half of the book is really about her health activism as an ALS patient. And again, I think being able to bridge from breast cancer to another disease and see the commonalities and similarities across um, illness and disease is is really important and impactful. And uh, a lot of her writing is just, you know, timeless. It's still relevant today to a lot of the issues that we're facing today
1: right and it also broadens the breadth of you know all the crap in our agribusiness products that could be causing all sorts of other ridiculous things to our children and to ourselves
4: absolutely i mean to turn the tide on the cancer epidemic we have to change the fundamentals of how we live as you said you know we can't assume that chemicals are innocent until proven guilty we need to take a life course approach where we're looking at Everything from, you know, fetal exposures and and other chemical exposures over the course of our lives. Um, This is not just something that we can fix by getting rid of one chemical in one individual product. We need to really look at the cumulative exposures over the course of our life, the combinations of chemicals, um, and, and recognize what that's doing to our health.
1: And I can't stress enough how the narrative is like, you know, so many charities are just nice to have, but you guys over 30 years have truly changed behavior in industry. What would you consider, because I have a personal opinion on this, but what would you consider yeah. since you started working there one of the biggest victories for Breast Cancer Action?
4: Yeah, well... um, you know, so we work as a watchdog both around the root causes of disease, and, and some of that's our work with Think Before You Pink and the pink washing. And so, no question, the Put a Lid on It campaign that you mentioned with YoPlay and Dannon uh, was impactful. As a result, they stopped using dairy produced with the synthetic growth hormone RBGH in their yogurt, and that affected, I think, about two thirds of the dairy industry. And that, it's a, that was a really big win, um, you know, just two years ago. We saw Komen's pink fracking drill bits for a cure. Oh, God, I remember those. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there was the KFC partnership where Komen partnered up with Kentucky Fried Chicken for buckets for a cure. There was our Raise a Stink campaign where Komen sold a perfume called Promise Me that had known hormone disruptors and other chemicals of concern. And so you're right. We're really looking to make change um, but but we also, you know, some of our work is uh, on the regulatory side. Um, we were the only breast cancer organization that was a plaintiff in this lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court and where we won, challenging a patent on the human breast cancer gene. So I'm sure you have a very savvy membership that understands that all of us have BRCA genes, whether we have breast cancer or not, and that for some families, there's mutations that can confer an increased risk of breast ovarian and some other cancers. Well, myriad genetics tried to patent or did patent the human gene and all known variants. And the result was that the cost of the test went up, that there was a real uh, there were barriers to progress in targeted therapies. And in particular, women of color were really, um, they were more likely to get this this test result that said they had a variant of unknown significance. So I feel really proud of the work that we did to challenge the the patent on the BRC gene, and the result was that not only was Myriad's patent overturned, but the Supreme Court ruled that no company could patent any naturally occurring DNA—that's human, animal, or plant. Um, that was a five-year suit. It began under Barbara, and we won in 2013, just a few years ago. Um, so I, I feel like we've done a lot of great work over the years, and it's because. We're grassroots. It's because people have our back. It's because when we raise our voices together, we really can make change, and we can go toe-to-toe you know, against industry and giant corporations that are, are really putting their profits before public health.
1: Right, and, and again, I can't stress enough that you guys actually do incredible things, and uh, I, I, I wish we could help you 24 hours a day. Everything we do is in your favor because we are the community, that gets just as angry as you are, and you're helping to channel them to make a difference. And I remember the campaign against Myriad around how mm-hmm. do you patent a human gene, and it's, it's 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 inconceivable that that's even something we have to fight against. But you know, congratulations again. Is it really your thirtieth year in in business or? Yeah.
4: Uh, 26th. twenty-six. We just celebrated our twenty-fifth last year.
1: Wow, yeah. that's a big deal. That's a really big. Deal. You're like yeah. the turtle that made it to the ocean.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we can't do it alone. We need partners and allies like you. It's all of us raising our voices together. That is truly how we make change.
1: So before we wrap up, uh, what are some of the other things? Clearly, you're focused on pink, uh, pink washing, because it's October. But it's a year-round thing. I, I see pink things in the stores in July just because they can. What else have you got on your docket?
0: Yeah, so um just one more push if for this campaign, definitely go to bcaction.org uh Toxic isn't tasty to take action you're not just signing a petition you're actually sending an email directly to the president of be sweet and wonderful Um, And yes yeah pink washing happens all year round we just um, in the spring we uh, did a educational campaign about four it was four questions to ask before you uh, participate in a breast cancer walk um and so that's a new resource um for our members as well who are who have been asked to participate or donate to a breast cancer walk. Um and then outside of our uh pink ribbon marketing work, we also um do work around the environments so of like you said, uh chemicals, um chemical reform, uh a lot around fracking, um and we also um, do work around uh Treatment and and screening and diagnosis work as
1: well. Well, absolutely extraordinary work. I can't speak yeah. highly enough of Breast Cancer Action. Uh, Karuna Jagger, Executive Director; Alyssa Figueroa, Campaigns Coordinator. The website is bcaction.org. dot uh, org. Twitter is and uh, uh, what's what's your handle these days?
4: At BC. It's BC Action.
1: There you go. Nice brand consistency, right there. BC Action on Twitter. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I hope to get out to the uh, Bay Area more often. Any follow up? Any final thoughts?
4: No. Thank you so much for having us, Matt. Truly, it's an honor to be with you, and you do great work as well. So it's really it's fantastic to have this chance to to chat together. Thank right. you so much.
1: All right. Thank you, yes. Breast Cancer Action, everybody. Aren't you glad we did that topic?
5: Uh, Yes, actually. uh, I happened to sign the petition and send the emails. It was really easy through their website.
1: Aren't you glad you did that? I'm so sorry. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to leave now. (laughs) no it's
5: really easy to sign up if you just go to their website it's like four clicks and enter in your your name and email address It's great
1: they really do make it easy all right cool well episode 399 i can't believe that it's a big deal all right with that our closing sequence prepare to activate Uh, i hear there's rumors on the uh internets you ever seen a grown man naked and so to all of you a fond farewell Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
5: That's our show, the 399th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or follow us on SoundCloud.
1: I'd like to thank our guests Jimmy Rancic, Dorinda Jagger, and Alyssa Figueroa. Breast Cancer Action, BCAction.org. The Stupid Cancer Show is in production. Of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan. On behalf of the team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Goodbye, folks.